Morning, Weymouth Family Church. Um, can I just say that you guys are a, a friendly bunch? It's awesome. Um, as Leanne and I and the family came in here, you guys were like all over us, like welcoming and hello and hugging and stuff, which is amazing. So um, it's really good to be with you. And uh, you probably hear from my accent that I'm not local. And um, Leanne, who is, uh, who's English, her parents are from Yorkshire, uh, we moved, they were in South Africa, uh, well, Leanne grew up in South Africa, and, and so did I. But at one point, Leanne said, hey, look, it's time to move over to England and go do some stuff there. And I was like, don't be crazy, what are you doing? Can't go to England? And, uh, but it's been such a privilege. So we moved over here in 2002 already, actually. And, um, and so we've been in our, what, however long, how, how long is that? 15 years? Six, 16 years? And, um, and it's been a real privilege and God has, um, really, um, done amazing things, uh, with us as a family and to be in this country, uh, is a real privilege and a joy. So, um, and I'm, it's a privilege and a joy for, for, for me to be with you today and, and to come and speak. And can I just say what, what's stirring in my heart for you guys this morning is, is a little bit, I don't know what, well, I don't know what your, your name is, um, Sally, Sally, the testimony that you guys just heard earlier. There's something that's stirring in me. It's a bit about, I want us to hear me right in a minute. I want us to walk away this morning in a sense of thinking that, that we've got a different posture about who we are. A different posture about our Christianity. That, that we are, if you want, we are powerful people. Why are we powerful people? Not because we just want to be powerful. But because you and I each have the very living God residing in us. Do you know this? Like, and you know, he said you and I, but all of us, if you got, if you're a Christian this morning, that you have the presence of God in you. So that when you go and you, someone like, like this, the testimony this morning says, in the moment of desperation, they will, then they will go to the presence of God if you want. Do you see what I mean? It's not, it's not just like, oh, I need someone to help me. I need God's presence to come and step into my life right now and bring hope for me. And you know what? Each one of us are the ones that carry that very presence and the hope of God in us. Do you know this? Because of the blood of Jesus. What he's done, he died on the cross for us and then he says, hey, look, you, you've got work to do. Right? You've got work to do. You see, so one of the things I, must, I want you to like bring to us and help us understand this morning, in the story we can look in the book of Acts, is that Jesus' ministry, when Jesus is walking on the earth and he's doing miracles and he's teaching, always doing amazing things, he does this stuff, it's like his ministry begins, but what happens of, when we get into the story, the book of Acts in a minute, his work, his very ministry, that what Jesus does, continues through his followers. But this is a question. What is Jesus doing? Like, when Jesus is walking the earth, right? And he's, he's ministering and he's, he's bringing miracles and he's teaching and he's doing all these amazing things. What is he actually doing? Is he just like, hey, look, I can do some miracles, so I'm going to do a miracle. Hey, I've got some clever things to say, so therefore I'm going to say some good stuff. Is this what Jesus is doing? I would say, like, I think Jesus is doing way more than that. Like, a massive amount more than that. Because if we see what Jesus is doing, then we know what we are going to be doing. Right? So here's a couple of examples of what Jesus is doing. You know, when Jesus is walking the earth, 
You know, it says he is the, the what? The light of the world, right? Light comes into darkness, right? So what happens is, imagine this for a minute. In the beginning of creation, when there's this like formless and there's void and there's darkness over the earth, right? And when Jesus then comes in, he drops into that darkness, into that mess, into that chaos. This is light of heaven coming and drops into the darkness. And then as Jesus is ministering and he's walking the earth and he's doing miracles and stuff, guess what? The light starts to expand over the darkness, over the darkness, over the darkness. And this light starts to spread around the earth. It's like light comes into darkness. It's a bit like this. It's like when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's like there's this beautiful garden, but outside the boundaries of Garden of Eden is all these thorns and thistles and wilderness and sand and just chaos, right? And what does Jesus say? Or God said to Adam and Eve, hey, be fruitful and multiply. You go and you take the Garden of Eden and you expand it across the whole earth. You make the whole earth an Eden. You make the whole earth a garden. Right? Do you know what Jesus, in his ministry, when he comes like the second Adam, when he's walking and he's bringing miracles, when he heals somebody's hand, it's like that person who's in like darkness and chaos. Guess what? Eden just comes to him. And this paradise of God comes to that person. Healing in his hand forms. God creates a new world, a new kingdom, a new Eden is expanding. Do you see this? Now, your brain might be thinking, what on earth is he talking about? Because it's really important that when we see that Jesus is walking in miracles, it's what he's done is whenever Jesus is doing anything, when he brings healing or bring any sort of hope to somebody, it's like the Garden of Eden has just expanded. God, Jesus in, is inaugurating a new kingdom, a new creation, a new Eden. This is the ministry of Jesus. Do you see this? So guess what? What the Bible says that the kingdom of God is a bit like a mustard seed. It's a small little thing that comes and drops in, and then this thing becomes this massive tree, right? And this tree is so powerful and so strong that it says that the birds and things come and rush to this tree. And why? Because in that tree they can find like, like safety and protection and like shade and all that stuff. So if you see the work of Jesus, and this is all going to work, what's our job? What is our role? Okay. So when you see then, when Jesus is walking the earth and he's ministering, he's like the God, this is like this, this mustard seed is dropping into the ground. And then roots start to spread out. And the trunk starts to grow. And leaves are starting to expand. And then what happens is, when Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, Hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go now. You go and cultivate your you go and take this mustard seed, this tree that's busy expanding. You go and keep this tree expanding and growing and getting bigger and bigger. And why? So that people can find nesting and flourishing under that tree. So when this story, when we're going to get into the story now, it's like in the book of Acts, in the very beginning of the book of Acts, if you want this little mustard seed, this little tree is growing within this big Roman empire. And this Roman Empire, which is powerful and strong, but guess what? 
the mustard tree is growing. The kingdom of God is expanding. Guess what? The Eden of God, the new kingdom of God is busy growing and expanding. And how does he do this? He does it through his followers. Through his very disciples that he has breathed his breath into and said, hey, look, you have now been commissioned to go and expand this kingdom of God beyond your whole earth. This is what's happening. See, if we see the ministry of Jesus a bit like this, then it gives us a little bit better understanding that when our call as Christians is beyond just a very kind, to be kind people, be nice people, to be friendly people, to be smiley people, right? When we see this, our role, when the Spirit of God comes into it, it takes us beyond those, those kind of things, but it says, hey, look, you and I have been given the Spirit of God, and now we are to build a new Eden. The kingdom of God. So whenever you bring light and joy and comfort and stuff like that to somebody, guess what? The Eden of God has just come to that person. We just had a testimony about that this morning, didn't we? I needed hope. The Eden of God has just been experienced by somebody. Do you see this? Do we see this? Do you know when Jesus, after his resurrection, he rises and he and he, he's got his disciples before him, and he says this to him. We know this is so well. He says, um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all men. Right? You know, if you see it a bit like God is speaking to a new creation, like in the Garden of Eden when he says, hey, look, Adam and Eve, you've got all the resources of heaven available to you. You are now to go be fruitful and multiply across the earth. Take this beautiful paradise and expand it. Hey, you've got all of the authority of heaven behind you. Everything you need is behind you right now. So when Jesus speaks to his disciples after his resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven has been given. It's like he's speaking to Adam and Eve in the same way in that new creation. Say, there's darkness out there. There's thorns and thistles out there. You're going to be fruitful and multiply now. You're going to change that world. Okay? And now what the story we're going to look at today is the story, very well-known story, of the paralyzed man outside the, the temple. Temple, And I want to show you a few beautiful things there. It shows how the Jesus' followers carry on the ministry of Jesus and how I'm trusting we this morning will walk away feeling a little bit more encouraged, to feel a bit more like, yes! Right? Like, we've got, we've got to do some gardening, man. Right? We've got to do some gardening. So, um, here we go. So just go, open up your Bibles in Acts chapter 3. And, um, and I realize that, um, some of this might be conceptual for you guys just to, um, you know, sometimes just to think like how, how we go about this. I'm sorry, I'm going to be, I'm going to be up in front of this thing here. I can feel myself. I'm going to block that thing up all the time, aren't I? I'll do like this. It will stop me. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some reading, and then I'm going to um, do some, I call musings, Mornay's musings, okay? And one of the things I want, I've titled this thing Fearless Christianity. So don't stress out about fearless Christianity in a sense like my word. But what I want is I think for us as Christians here at Weymouth is that there's a sense that as we grasp some of this, there will be a sense of fearlessness that will come about us. 
fearlessness for this for this town. Like as we step out into different contexts, we think, you know what? Man, God is for me. God is with me. Come on. Let's, let's bring some, just do some gardening here. I've got friends and family members and we've got work colleagues and all kinds of people who are living in thorns and thistles right now. Right? They're living in thorns and thistles. They need the Garden of Eden to expand to them. Do you see? Okay. So number one. Um, in Acts chapter three, verse one, it says the following. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now one of the things I say about previous Christianity, one of the ingredients I say is friendship and partnership. Now I just want to just draw your attention to this. I think it's crucial for any community of believers. Okay? Peter and John, these guys, they, they are always together. You know, did you know that at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration, that they were up there that, that in the Gospels, when they saw Jesus transform in, from a man into this kind of like, I don't know what he is, divine being, right? They were there together. They witnessed that thing together. Do you know that they were together the moment when there was this, this talk about the resurrection of Jesus in the tomb, that John, he outruns Peter, because you know what, John is younger, he's like, probably in his like late teens, Peter's a bit late, a bit, bit older, he outruns Peter, and he gets to the tomb first, and realizes that they both are like perplexed, because the tomb is empty, right? They're like, they were together in that moment. Do you know, they were together that day when Jesus says, at the Last Supper, he says, um, one of you is going to betray me, and Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Did you know that John knew about this? This wasn't news to John about Peter's history or Peter's life, right? Here's another one, which I find like incredible. Is that after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter and Jesus is walking on the beach, having a little stroll, and Jesus says to Peter, hey, uh, do you love me? And Peter's like distraught. Do you remember that story? He's like, yes, I, 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 I do love you. And he says, asks him three times, right? Reminding him of his denial for three times, okay? And, and he's asking, and then he says, and then Jesus says to Peter this amazing thing. He says, hey, Peter, guess what? You love me, and guess what's going to happen? One day, you are going to die on the cross, just like I am. One day, you're going to die. And Peter, he turns around, and if you notice in the story, John is there again. He's lurking in the background. Somehow John wants to be involved in this conversation. He's kind of walking behind Peter and Jesus, listening to what's happening. And they kind of, and then in that moment, Peter turns around and he points to John and he says, well, if I'm going to die on the cross, how's, how's John going to die on the cross? And Jesus is like, don't worry about John. You just worry about, you worry about yourself right now, right? See, John knew about Peter's history. He knew about his present and he knew about his future. And here, the two of them, in this moment, together, they're just about to do something remarkable. Like another moment of adventure. And one of the things I was thinking about in our community, in our community of believers, is that we got to be in a place where we build history with each other. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. 
Now, these guys, they know everything about each other. They know their weaknesses. You know, John knows that Peter denied Jesus. And yet, he doesn't judge him. He's not like, you know what, I'm not walking with you anywhere. I'll be joking. You're like denial of like our Savior. No way. He's there. He's kind of like he knows they are together. There's no like, well, you've behaved that way, so therefore now you reject it and that. None of that happening to me. They know each other. It's like they walk with each other. They know each other's ins and outs, and together they're on this journey of Christianity. You see what I mean? You know, one of the things that I do is whenever somebody ever comes to praise, asks me for prayer, or wants to come see me in my office, you know, and so on, this is my, one of my first questions I always, I uh, always ask them. I say, hey, um, who's, who's walking this journey with you right now? Who's, who's, who's the, who's the person that you can phone up in the middle of the night and say, I need your help right now? Who's the person you can sit on the sofa with and say, you know what? I feel God is telling me to give up my job and to move to another country or, or whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? That sort of craziness. Look, who are those people? To kind of say, fearless Christianity, to, to be a fearless Christian, if you want, someone who is kind of passionate about God and passionate about what, about building the Eden of God, it's always in partnership. Adam and Eve was in partnership, weren't they? So I was going to say that it's almost like a side issue. If you are not hooked in or you don't have somebody that you're making history with, someone that you make adventures in Christianity with, say so like find that person. So I get, make friends. Okay. So build history with people. Verse, verse two. And the man lame from birth was being carried, whom, whom, being carried, right? Whom lay, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms, those entering the temple. So through this Christianity, I read this, looks for opportunities. You know, this man, we know from chapter 4 that he's about 40 years old. And I don't know if we can quite relate to this. But think about this. The baby's born. A few weeks goes by and you're like, hmm, something's not right here with this baby. It's not quite moving his legs like we anticipated him to do. Maybe a couple of months goes by. It's not. This baby's, not, this baby's not getting onto his knees and starting to crawl. For 40 years, this man is paralyzed. Can we, can we like even contemplate that? His perspective is always down here on the floor. That's, that's the only thing he always sees. Low perspective. He has got like the sense of he is absolutely distraught and hopeful, hopeless, if you want. Desperate for other people to help him. Alms is just a way of giving money. There's more to alms a bit, which we can't get into. But there's a sense of basically it's just asking for money. That's the only thing that he can survive in one way. And then the other thing, which is just incredible, is that in those days, if you were a Jew and you were crippled like that, Levitical law says this. Look. Sorry, man. You are a bit like a blemish animal. Which means that you can't go into the temple ever. So that's why you're left by the gate. Outside the presence of God. you just left there but outside the presence of God. And guess what? You can't go make sacrifice for your sins 
Because you can't go into the temple. You are like an unclean animal. You are like a blemished animal. And therefore you are rejected. You are removed from the community. Or we can just, we can leave you outside the presence of God. As in a sense. So it's happening for this man. But he doesn't know. He does, he, he, what he doesn't know. Is that just maybe a few weeks before. Someone has made a sacrifice for him. Very Lord Jesus himself. But Jesus had, if you want, gone and made a sacrifice for this man that he didn't even know he needed or that he couldn't do it himself. And guess what? The presence of God. He can't go into the presence of God. But guess what's going to happen? The presence of God is just about to come and visit this man by the gate, by the stairs. And you know how is he going to do it? He's going to visit him through Jesus' own followers. This is what's going to happen. What's going to happen here, this man is in thorns and thistles. Think about this. It's like darkness is over him. It's like chaos and void. You know, the beginning of creation, that kind of idea? It's that's what he's living in. Darkness and thorns and thistles and, and just mess around him. And guess what? What's the presence, the Eden of God, the boundaries of the Garden of Eden is about to start to shift. Shifting. It's coming close to him. You see? It's coming to him now. Fearless Christianity, number three, I think, sees what God sees. So Peter and John is on their way to go and uh, pray at the temple, right? It's probably three o'clock in the afternoon. They're on their way to go and pray. The Holy Spirit came upon, on the day of Pentecost, came at nine o'clock in the morning. Now it's three o'clock in the afternoon, so I'm not sure what's happening at twelve o'clock, but uh, something must happen there. But um, so what happens in this section here is that what I want you to notice is that there are, in three verses, five references to sight. In three verses, five references to sight. Okay? So have a look. Let's have a look at this. Verse three. Seeing Peter, this is the man, in desperation. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So I was thinking about what you see is what you get in some ways. Like this man, he just sees natural people. Here, two men going to the temple to go and pray, just like all the other men in the city. They go about to go and pray. He looks at them. If you want, he sees them, but all he sees is normal, ordinary people. Okay? And Peter, listen, I love this, and Peter directed his gaze at him. So it's like a different, Peter looks at him differently. You see, it says, to fix the eyes in a steady intent, look often with eagerness or studious attention. See, this man just looks with normal eyes, but Peter says he gazes. He's looking straight into the man's soul. He's looking straight at the man. In this way, we can say this. He's seeing, this Peter is seeing something more than just an ordinary man sitting there. Peter is seeing pain. Peter is seeing darkness. Peter is seeing with the eyes of God. And he honors him. For a minute, you know, this, at our church, we talk about often about the culture of honor. And honor, this ability is just that, you know what, you're made in God's image as a created being. 
whether you are the most unbelieved, most whatever person, the fact is the fact you are created in the image of God. There's an, there's a sense of honor I can give to you for that. Understand? You deserve, you, you, you have honor. There's something, Peter looks at him with honor and said, you are an absolute mess. I look in you now with my eyes of, of love and affection. I'm looking at you. I see you. You see the difference? I think it's a call for us. How do we look at each other? How do we look at people outside our, our community or in our community? They might look at you with ordinariness. But do they, do you look at them with his eyes and gazing at them with this beauty saying, I honor you. I see something in you. I see a worth in you. You see what I mean? And then watch this. So this man's looking at Peter, right? And Peter's gazing at him. And then it says, and he said, this is Peter said, look at us. It's like, he's already looking at them, but Peter says, no, no, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. You see, Peter is wanting this man to realize, hey, look, do you know what is coming to you? Do you know what's residing in me right now? Do you know that I'm walking to you with the highest authority that exists in the universe? Do you realize that I carry within me the presence of God that has the answer for anything that exists on the earth? Any problem? Do, do, do you understand? And he says to this man, hey, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. Look at this because don't look at me as an ordinary man. Look at me as a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's different. It's different. You see, what God does is, it's an amazing thing. He takes ordinary things, you know, just ordinary human beings, just flesh and bone. And what God then is, and he puts his presence in us. And then guess what? We become extraordinary. Extraordinary things because of what God does in us and through us. Okay? Serious Christianity, we move on. What they have, it says, um, but Peter said, I have no silver and I have no gold. What I, what, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Please Christianity know what they have. You know, this amazing thing, sometimes I, this is challenging to me, right? It's like in the, it, I haven't got gold and silver. I'm pretty poor. This is what Peter says. I'm poor. Physically, earthly terms, I'm poor man. Spiritually, I'm very rich. I'm, 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 I'm like super rich man. Right? And he says, I don't, I don't have that stuff, but what I do have inside of me now, I'll give it away to you. I mean, is that challenging, right? That's not challenging. I, I'm, not just saying this like, yeah, you guys deal with that. I'm like speaking to myself, like thinking, that is challenging. Like, what do I have? Do I value? Do I realize what I carry? Do I realize who my God is? I mean, do I really have this idea that my God is a good God and there's no shadow, not like even a point not 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 one percent of issues in him in his character. Like he is a good God. 
full of holiness. Full of goodness. Right? Do I have this? Do I believe that I've got this, this God that, you know, on the cross, when he died on the cross, that his blood bought for everything I need? Do I believe this? Do I believe that nothing's impossible for him? Right? I mean, I've got a crippled man. You, do you realize that when you're crippled from birth, there's no like muscle growth or anything like that, right? It's like, it's just like, there's nothing there. I, do I, do I believe that God can do something with that? Do I believe that everyone is significant? That there's worth and value in every person that's born? Do I be, really believe this in my head? And what happens if I carry those things, if they all become weighty in me, like strong in me, and I'm committed to them and convinced by them, I would want to give that away wherever I go. You see, you see, can I say our evangelism or our mission is never motivated out of like, oh, we've got to get people into the kingdom. I mean, like, that's not going to get us far. It should be a, a deep, Conviction that the very life of God is pulsating through me and I want people to experience and taste and see that God is good. That's my only motivation, right? It's like, I, I've tasted something. I've tasted something and I, I want you to taste it. Have you ever done that before when you go to a restaurant or something? You're like, man, this is, this is amazing. Do you, do you want to try some? Have you, have you done that before? Who's, who's done that? Were you too like selfish? No way. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's like a natural thing, isn't it? Like this is amazing. Try some, right? It's like taste God. Do I really? Do I do I like His taste, or is His taste become bland or familiar to me? And therefore, I don't want, don't want to give it away. You see, it's a challenging thing, isn't it? It's a challenging thing. I wrote this down. Fearless Christianity should come up on the screen. Um. As a quote, fearless Christianity is not the absence of fear. Okay, listen. It's not that we walk around and we're not fearful of anything. But a deep conviction of what you have and the courage to give it away in all kinds of circumstances. Did you get that? The courage to give it away in all kinds of circumstances. Number one. uh, Next one. Fearless Christianity uh, walks in authority. I mean, I just think... And then Peter says this, watch this. He kind of, you know, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, he calls on the highest authority that exists. I spoke about that already. Like when Jesus did that thing, when he says, after his ascension, all, he- all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You've got to almost see this picture like this when Jesus, when you become a Christian, it's like you waking your eyes up in a Garden of Eden paradise. And then God looks at you and says, Hey, Adam, Eve, be fruitful and multiply. All of the resources of heaven is available to you. Go on then. You are my you are my authority on the earth now. You are my image bearers on the earth now. I've given you everything you need. Just get on with it and do it. You see, it's a bit like that. So it's like, so of course for for Peter, yeah, when he says the Jesus of Nazareth, he's in this context, he's making it very clear. He's saying, look, 
the man that you guys crucified? Do you guys know that this is Messiah? This is the man that was that was from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, came out of Nazareth. This is a physical human being that we can pinpoint to a specific location. That man is the Messiah, and that man is the God Himself that came on earth, right? From His name, I draw power and authority from. I'll just move on quickly to to another section. <clears throat> I love this verse seven. What this is this is incredible. So he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up, right? And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. I mean, this guy's got his hands out for arms, arms, arms. No, no, no. Not getting arms. I'm going to lift you up. <laughs> you hear me? Arms. Who cares about arms? Come on, let's stand up, man. I mean, a creative miracle right there. Can you imagine? Like, muscles are growing, like, instantly. Right? Like, I don't know what else, I'm not a doctor, I don't know whatever else is going on there, but there's stuff happening instantly, and this man, for the first time in his life, he comes and he changes his perspective. He raises up, 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 and he sees a new perspective, a new world. Guess what? The Garden of Eden has just expanded, the boundaries of Eden has just expanded, and incorporated this man into the paradise of God. Through Jesus' followers, the presence of God through their lives. Isn't it amazing? It's an awesome thing, isn't it? Yeesh. Love to see that more and more. You see, your faith requires action. So we, we, it's, it's a challenge. It's like when we pray for people with a headache, for example. Hey, I've got a headache. You pray for me. Yeah, fine. Okay, cool. Okay, great. Great. Cheers. No. How's your head feeling right now after I've just prayed for you? Because that, do you know what I mean? Because I could easily hide away from it. Yeah, my arm is a little sore. Okay, one pray for it. Pray. Okay, great. Next. No, no. Can I challenge you? Like, challenge you with short prayers. So you don't try and convince yourself or the person that God wants to heal this person right now. It's like, what's wrong? What's the arm? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will heal. Amen. How's your arm feeling? Yes, your 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 declaration of faith requires an action from you. Do you understand what I mean? That's challenging because you're like, damn, I was sore, not sore. Oh, okay, Lord, go again. Okay, then verse eight. Watch this man. Watch what he does for the first time in his life. And leaping up, he stood. And began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. How awesome is that, right? See, fearless Christianity sees life's change. I mean, think about this. So this man immediately raises and what's his first thing that he can do because of being incorporated back into the life of God? What does he do? Goes into the temple. You were excluded from that temple. You were out of the boundaries. Suddenly, you run into the temple. What's the first thing he does? He goes and worships his God that just healed him. I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? People to like, God to come to them and then to rush to him and say, man, I thank you for what amazing things that you've done in me. He was restored physically and he's restored spiritually in that very moment. And I was reminded me of this, um, 
Yet for the first time ever in his life, he walks into the temple. Now think about it. For the first time in his whole life, you stay on the steps. Because you know the temple was this like beautiful place for where Jewish people could go. This is like God's presence, right? It's like this privileged thing. It's like this is a place where I can worship my God that brought us out of the garden, out of out of Egypt and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. You just stay on the steps. For the first time you walk into that temple, like in wonder. Lives have changed. And it makes me think about this Isaiah 35, a couple of verses. It says this. It's called the ransomed shall return. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen and the weak, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I think sorrow and sighing have flee away from that guy, right? He's bouncing around like a maniac now. Hopping around like a deer. Awesome. This is um, Daryl Box says this. This is how the community is to engage. This is a Christian community. Is to get is to engage with the larger community. If you want, this is how the mustard tree seed, mustard seed that grows into this mustard tree is to engage with this overarching the world that we're living in. Engage with the large community in which it lives, showing compassion in visible ways that help and even develop people's capabilities. Develop and even uh, help and develop people's capabilities. This man has found resting in the tree of God, isn't it? He's, if you want, he's, he's eaten from the tree of life. This man. Amazing. Okay. Um, let me quickly finish off here. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. So this is like a whole community. like, what on earth is going on here? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened while he clung to Peter and John and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. You know, it's like, I can imagine this guy clinging in pictures, 40 years. And now you're clinging to the man that just kind of, John and Peter, that's just kind of brought life to you, like restored you. Like, yeah, I can imagine this guy like, yeah, <gasps> like tear, crying and just mad. I can just imagine people were like a chaos around. People were like, what's happened? Because joy has come to this man. Life has come to this man. You know, and I was, I was thinking, you know, I would love people to run to us when, I mean, it would be amazing. That's my heart. Not to, always to church in Syria, but that would be great. But like, just run to you wherever you are, like giving you phone calls and say, hey, hey, can you, have you got any, can you help? What, what's God saying? Or how can you bring something of God's presence to me? Right? So, as I finish here, 
you know, it's important to know that we were all at some point sitting by the steps of the temple, crippled. And each one of us, if you believe it this morning, at some point the presence of God has come to you and has come and incorporated you into the paradise of God. And there are many people in our town right now sitting in thorns and thistles, darkness and void over their lives. And you and I are the gardeners. We are the gardeners of this town. We are the gardeners of this community. And we are like powerful because you've got God's presence living in you. And and I'm hoping that you feel a little bit more like, yeah, 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 I can do this. And um, I'm going to show a clip now, but this this clip that summarizes the story, and then you guys will finish, is that, it's only three minutes long, is um, I love the section when the trumpet to call happens. Go for it. Need some volume. <laughs> 